going to look at one of the more riveting stories of Jesus' encounter with someone after his resurrection. It's found in John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture will be printed on the screen behind you. Also, the church app, which is a sermon listening guide that you can follow along in, and the scripture is printed on top of that as well. John chapter 20, verses 11 to 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to a woman, Why are you weeping? Who are you speaking? Supposing him to be the gardener, he said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where he has laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, that he has said these things to them. Listen to this comment that a girl posted on the atheist website. I'm confused. I always believe science would be the cure-all for all my problems. But I don't know if I can keep living without eternal life. I guess I'll just have to find a way myself to make it through this meaningless existence. I just wish I knew of someone who could show me the path to eternal life. If science can provide the answers, though, then who or what can? Doesn't it seem like there is a higher power that gives our lives purpose? Well, science says there isn't. So there isn't. Hope is in short supply. And when there are glimmers of hope, oftentimes it's hope that is short-lived, it's temporal. Over the past year, we have experienced one of the more difficult years in our country's recent history. It's been so dark, so much uncertainty, and so much darkness that Dictionary.com created a new word over the past year. They called it doom scrolling. This is how they define it. They define it as the act of consuming an endless procession of negative online news. In the midst of such despair, in the midst of such uncertainty, in such darkness, is there a hope that is resilient? 
Is there a hope that's indestructible? Is there a hope that's not attached to the news of the day? The answer is yes. And it's found in this riveting account of Mary Magdalene meeting the risen Christ. What kind of hope is resilient? First, hope that is supernatural. Mary Magdalene, before Jesus calls her name, is absolutely convinced of the reason why Jesus' body is not in the tomb anymore. And she expresses this reason three times in John chapter 20. Early in the morning, early Sunday morning, she goes to the tomb, it's still dark. And she sees the stone roll away. So she runs back to Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, and she says to them in verse 2, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and John run to the tomb, Mary falls behind them, they get to the tomb, look inside, and then go home. And Mary stays, and when she peeks inside the tomb, she sees two angels. And the angels say to Mary, Why are you weeping? And then she says to them in verse 13, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Then she turns around and she sees Jesus. She doesn't know it's Jesus. And Jesus says to her, Why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And so, she says to Jesus in verse 15, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where he is laid him, and I will take him away. Mary is utterly convinced that Jesus' body has been taken from the tomb. And because she loves him so much, she simply wants to give him a proper burial. At this point in the story, Mary would be thrilled to find Jesus' dead body. She'd be thrilled to find Jesus' dead body so she could give him a proper burial. She has no concept or no thought that Jesus could have risen from Right, a supernatural explanation for what happened. All Mary has is a natural explanation of why Jesus' body was gone. In the midst of Mary's dark agony, in the midst of her weeping and sobbing, this isn't just a few tears, she is sobbing, she's weeping. Her hope is confined to what she can see. In a rational, logical explanation for what has happened. Hope that is confined to this world. Hope that is confined to what you can see or what you can rationally explain is not resilient. It's an empty hope. It's a fragile hope. Because whatever you put your hope in, and if it's a person or a thing or a movement, that hope, because it's seen, is felt to fail or is felt to break. If you put your hope in a person, that person may betray you. 
that person may die. If you put your hope in a job, you may get fired, or you may not get the promotion you're longing for. If you put your hope in an organization, a moral scandal can rock the leadership team and that organization can fall apart. If you put your hope in a better world, what happens when it doesn't get better? If you put your hope in science, you realize science is going to explain so much. It's not a good thing. I get it. I get it. That's why I'm going to put my hope in religion. There's a religious version of hope connected to what you can see and what you can rationally explain. And it looks like this. I'm going to put my hope in the physical, historical Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago. I'm going to see that he lived a, he was a great teacher and he lived a morally exemplary life that I, I could follow. In a world would be a better place if everyone just loved like Jesus did and lived like Jesus did. Hope is connected to the, the, the man who lived 2,000 years ago. Nobody would debate that. He's a historical figure. As a moral example, that hope gets dashed very quickly when you find yourself not loving like Jesus loved. Or not living like Jesus loved. Or you become a victim of somebody who doesn't love like Jesus loves, or, or lives like Jesus lives. The Apostle Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. He says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people worth to be pitied. He spent the whole chapter talking about if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. If Jesus was just a man who lived a great life, Morally superior life 2,000 years ago. If that's it, and we're just kind of looking at his life and going, let's model it, let's live after him, Paul says, we're going to be big. It's a big hope. It's a fragile hope. It's actually no hope at all. Hope that is resilient is hope that is supernatural. When Mary peeked into the tomb, she saw two angels. Now, what's the significance of those angels in the tomb? That was God proclaiming to Mary, this isn't a grave robbery. This is the invasion of God's power. But the grave robber explanation doesn't, doesn't make sense. The Romans wouldn't have stolen Jesus' body out of the tomb because it would have furthered the movement they were trying to crush. The Jewish leaders would not have stolen Jesus' body out of the tomb because it would have affirmed Jesus' claims. The very man they crucified were trying to get rid of So now we're not the disciples. And the disciples stole the body. In fact, that's a theory that gets promoted in Matthew 28, verse 13. The Jewish leaders. Hey, says the Roman soldiers lots of money to say this. Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while they were asleep. Now, this theory could hold water until you realize how the disciples died. Every disciple of Jesus died a martyr's death, which means they died for their faith in Christ. They died because they were worshiping Christ and they got killed for it. The disciples would not have died for our hopes that they created by stealing Jesus' body out of the tomb. 
all the way in the to And now you understand why she was weeping, uncontrollable. And now we understand why says that, that she was clinging to Jesus. We don't know if she fell on her knees and was wrapping her arms around his feet. We don't know if she just went up and hugged him. But, but she was embracing him in this wonderful moment of joy in her life. And then Jesus pours a cup of cold water. Don't cling to me. That's a high response from Jesus. Don't cling to me, Mary. Don't touch me. Not the warmest response on the surface, right? What's going on? Well, the second half of the verse explains it. Jesus says, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Jesus' relationship with Mary and with the disciples had changed. She was clinging to him as though he was just the same Jesus that had been with her before he died. The same physical Jesus that would just be with her and walk with her. She had no idea that there was something greater and better in store for her. When Jesus said, I haven't yet ascended my Father, he was speaking of the event when he would ascend and then send the Holy Spirit. So that he could be with Mary in a way he couldn't have been with her in his earthly time. Something far greater. The Holy Spirit actually being with her and Jesus being with her all the time. Not just in the waking hours, not just when she was with him, apart from times she had run errand, but actually Jesus would be with her all the time and live inside. This was the greater thing that was happening. Hope that is resilient looks to the risen Christ, not to the earthly Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago as a moral example. Hope that resilient doesn't look to Jesus as 2,000 years ago, a life that's worth emulating. There's a man who lived, who died, and he just emulated him. It's not the life of Jesus before you as an example. It's the life of Jesus in you that's changing by his spirit. Hope is tied to what I would call cosmetic change or behavioral change, which says there's Jesus' life that I just emulated. That's a hope that's just set up in that. Because pretty quickly you realize we don't live like no love like Jesus. I hope it gets gassed really quickly. This hope is tied to a historical Jesus that's just somebody I can model my life after, which is cosmetic change, behavioral change. And that, that hope is illustrated by the following. I want you to imagine that you're like in your backyard, you got an apple tree. And this apple tree is not producing apples. And you know that an apple tree should produce apples. So you get really frustrated. But then you come up with this brilliant solution. You go to the grocery store, you get a couple bags of nice, plump, juicy, red, delicious apples, and you return to your house, and you take the apples by the skin, and you stake them to the branches on the apple tree. And you stake them all on there, and you get back and you look at the tree and go, that is a beautiful apple tree. And then several days later, 
when your apples rot, you go, well, that's frustrating. See the side? Let's take this. You go back to the grocery store, you get two more bags of red apples. You come home, you stay for one. Several days later, you're out apples are rotting again. That's a picture of hope that is tied to an earthly Jesus. Just simply a man who lived 2,000 years ago that you should emulate your life after and just be sacrificial and his life up. So be sacrificial like he was. That's what that kind of hope looks like. Right? We use the apple tree example. We need a new apple that produces fruit from the game. That's what it is to look to the risen Christ who by spirit lives in you and produces change. Right? It produces real change. And if, if you've been subscribing to this version of Christianity, which is looking to just the earthly Jesus, it's a great example now how to follow him. That's a version of Christianity. It's not even a version of Christianity. A stereotype. It ultimately thinks that you can live good enough to coach Jesus to come to you. Live good enough to coach Jesus to live inside you. It doesn't work. Good works don't work. Good works don't work. The way that Jesus comes to live in you is not by you impressing him by being good and emulating him. The way that Jesus comes to live in you by spirit is by you confessing your sin and turning to him and understanding that he lived, died, and rose for you. That's when real change begins to happen from the inside out. Resilient hope looks to the risen Jesus for change in the present, but also in the future. One of the striking parts of this encounter from Mary Magdalene with the risen Christ is that it becomes very apparent that she is looking to Jesus as though he had been resuscitated. But she just said, oh, he's alive again, and now we get to walk around again with Jesus. He's with us, and it's the same Jesus that uh, we had before he died. The problem is, Jesus wasn't resuscitated. He was resurrected. He was glorified body. And his glorified body was very different than his body before he died. His glorified body could never die again. His glorified body would never be able to die again. He belonged in a world, a new world, new heavens, new earth, where there was no pain, no death, no sin, no weeping. It was a different body. It appears when you look at Jesus' resurrection appearances, he kind of dips in and then he dips out. He dips in with some other people and he dips out. He kind of appears and then he disappears. It almost seems like he's, he's moving between two worlds, between heaven and earth. And that's exactly what he is doing. That's exactly what he is doing. So, how do we know that? Well, there's a hint, a very subtle hint in John chapter 20. It's verse 15. Supposing him to be the gardener, Mary, quote, mistakes Jesus for being the gardener. That's exactly who he is. Because Jesus, too, is great 
was in the Father. And Jesus was the God who was restoring the beautiful garden that fell apart in Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the world. And heaven and earth ripped apart because of sin. Jesus now returns as the gardener to restore this beautiful garden, new heavens and new earth, a new world where there will be no more pain, no more death. Resilient hope is not tied to a better world. We say that again. Resilient hope is not tied to a better world. It's tied to a new world. A new world, a new heaven's earth that Jesus is going to bring when he returns. And that he's changing it. So what kind of hope is resilient? First hope is supernatural. Second, hope that looks to the risen Christ. And finally, hope that is communal. Communal. Verse 17. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is a remarkable statement by Jesus. Up until this point, he's talked about the Father. The Father is and he's talking about his followers as disciples or servants. But here, we see Mary and the disciples welcomed into a new world where they can know God like Jesus knows his Father. Jesus is inviting them into his relationship with the Father. That they would have the same relationship as children of the Father. Why he calls his disciples and his pastor's brothers. Mary, his sister, the disciples, his brothers. This is a new family. We don't know a lot about Mary Magdalene's life, but we can make some assumptions on that. if she was a woman who was possessed by seven demons, tormented, suffered relentlessly, emotionally, psychologically, until Jesus healed her, by the way that she clung to Jesus and followed him, we can assume that this welcomed by Jesus into a new family, a spiritual family of brothers and sisters, who have put their faith in Christ was the greatest news he's ever heard. And some of you have that story. Some of you have that story. You came to Christ, and maybe you come from a broken family, or maybe no family. And you come to Christ, and you meet other brothers and sisters who have put their faith in Christ, and you experience for the first time this amazingly loving family. It's called the church, it's not personal. But it's the community of people who love Jesus. Resilient hope is communal. You do not experience hope in isolation. You don't experience hope in isolation, and yet we find ourselves such a propensity in us towards isolation, towards moving away from community. It's almost as though we're just we're addicted to being isolated. You know. Here's how we know that. When you're struggling deeply, and somebody says to you, How are you doing? How many times have you said, I'm good? I'm just fine. Or how many times have you said that, that you're struggling deeply 
in, and the person that you're speaking to knows your struggle, and you know it, they know it, right? It's not a secret. And they offer to help you. And you say, yeah, I got it. I, I got it. We'll get it. We can do it. But there's this propensity in us to struggle alone. And oftentimes we defend that isolation by saying, well, I don't want to be a burden on you. That's what's really going on is to say, I don't want to appear weak this morning. I don't want to appear like I don't have it all together. Now we're back to our focus tied to the earthly Jesus, the man who lived 2,000 years ago, who we have to emulate. And so I got to pick it up. I got to put on the face. I got to make it look as though I'm emulating Jesus well and tough and strong and I got it all figured out. That's a hope that just gets bad. Hope does not survive in isolation. And self help hope is no hope at all. Mary, here she lives in Christ. She's given hope by the risen Christ, and what does she do? She goes and proclaims it. She goes and proclaims it. Verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to me. Mary's the first person to witness the risen Christ. She's the first evangelist. The disciples, specifically Peter and John, are the ones you should have understood. But they didn't. They were scared. They were confused. They went home. Mary was in the dark too, but Mary stayed. She stayed too. She wrestled. She wept. And the light of the risen Christ showed into her darkness. Here God missed it. They did later. Actually, they did it through the mouth of Mary. If she ran back and told me. We are a community of hope sharers. That's who we are. We're the community of hope sharers. Then when people are in the dark, we share hope with them. We share that there's hope. In the midst of what seems to be despair, we share hope with those who are weeping. We weep with those who are weeping. We weep with those who are weeping in front of Jesus, with Jesus. He weeps with us, and then he reminds us that he'll wipe the tears away one day. Tears We're a community of hope sharers. Resilient hope is communal. Alexander Solzhenitsyn is a Russian writer. He spent years in a Siberian prison. He became so discouraged that he decided he was going to give up and die. And his plan was to stop working in the field one day, lean on his shovel, and wait for the guards to come and beat him to death. So that day came. And he stopped working. And he leaned on his shovel. 
one of the prisoners next to him who was digging a hole took his shovel and he scratched a cross on the dirt in front of him. And then he erased it quickly so the guards wouldn't see it. And Alexander would say that that moment changed him. he was reminded in that moment by the cross that was etched in the ground of the hope that he had in the risen Christ. That a fellow believer cared enough about him to share the hope in his darkest hour. Let me just speak something very real right now. Within a 10 foot radius of you, maybe 15 feet, is someone you know or maybe you don't know. Who is ready to lean on their shoulder and give up? Maybe physically, but certainly emotionally and spiritually. And maybe in that 15 foot circle, it's actually you. The hope you have is not tied to a man who lived 2,000 years ago and is currently. Disintegrated in the grave of the human soul. It's tied to the risen Christ, who is alive and who is here right now. You can't see him right now. One day you will, when the veil is pulled back. But he's here right now by his spirit, Jesus Christ, glorified, risen body, body that can never be touched again by death. Here by spirit, and he offers you that day. You're in a dark place, and maybe for the first time you're hearing the news of Jesus and the Christianity and the gospel. I invite you to, to turn to him, turn from your sin, turn to Jesus, confess your sin, and receive what he's done for you, and find a hope. It will fill your heart and your life that is indestructible and that is resilient. And if you have received that hope, then drink it and share it with those that are in the body. And maybe those that are leaning on their shelf, ready to give up. Let's pray. Father, Would you forgive us for turning Christianity into a, a game of morality? For a living where we look back at a man who lived a morally exemplary life and we just try to emulate him? Father, would you forgive us for that just empty hope? And would you, by your Spirit, convince us, remind us, encourage us that Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave? That he's risen, that he's alive. That he brings hope that is indestructible, hope that is resilient. Father, there are those here today that are in a dark place. Maybe those that are, that are at the point of giving up, that are emotionally just scarred and done. Father, they need the hope of your son Jesus. And so, by your Holy Spirit, would you? Grab hold of their Father, would you make us a, a community, a church, 
They are a group of people who share hope. The hope of the living Christ. We pray this all in His name.